Lord, today we consider a gift that you seek to give us, the gift of conversing with you as a friend to a friend, the opportunity to tap resources beyond our wildest imagination, a gift we need to receive, and I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to understand it. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you think about it, week after week in worship, we come here and we hear challenges from God's word. These challenges motivate, I hope, most of us to do something, to obey more completely, to commit more totally to God's will, to trust more. However, in most cases, the itch passes, sometimes very quickly, as soon as we walk out the door. And to replace the itch comes a skepticism about the possibility that we're ever going to change, that things will ever be different, that we'll never grow into the spiritual goals that Jesus has laid down for us. Thinking about that fact, did it ever occur to you that the original disciples faced a very similar dilemma? After three years of being with Jesus, being intimate with him, hearing his teachings about what it means to become his disciple, what the conditions were, they were still searching for the power to become all that he was calling them to be near the end of his ministry. And finally, they made a discovery of a power source whereby maybe they could cross this gap between what they wanted to be and their inability to meet the high bar that Jesus laid down. Namely, they came to Jesus asking, Lord, teach us to pray. Implied, teach us to pray like you pray. Because they had seen Jesus throughout his ministry spend all night in prayer before every decision, going away to a mountain to pray. He was in intimate and constant communion with his Father. I want to share a personal conviction that's, I, I, I think, a very serious one. Until the Holy Spirit implants in us a similar hunger to that which filled the hearts of the disciples that day when they came asking Jesus to teach them to pray, until that hunger fills us, we're going to become uh, in a state of chronic frustration about the gap between what we are and what Jesus calls us to be. And the reality will be, sadly, that many of us will remain in the same spiritual rut that we've been in for years. This is a dilemma. Sometimes I, I, I think about it myself. You know, we come to church for years. We hear hundreds of sermons, go to hundreds of classes, and then we really evaluate is anything different? Am I becoming anything more than what I've been? Am I of any more use to the kingdom than I was 10 years ago? If you're not satisfied with a positive answer about that, the key is that until we learn to pray, which is the secret that Jesus shared with his disciples, we will be neutralized in terms of being anything really of significant use to God's kingdom. That's just a plain fact. Turn it over and buy into what the disciples found out about prayer. And we become the kind of disciples as they were who went out in the book of Acts from cowardly, miserable failures as disciples into men and women who built the church and set it, the world on fire. My question, what would mo motivate us as a church family in Silicon Valley to take prayer seriously, surrounded by the kind of culture in which we live every day? Well, last week, Ben spoke about detours in our lives that bring disappointments, tragedy, sickness, relational pain, burnout, and so goes the list. 
And it occurred to me that sometimes things happen that make God appear like an unkind friend rather than a father. One who gives spiritual goals we can't reach, allows problems we can't solve, allows pain we can't handle. And, and, and what became clear to me and what happened in the lives of the early disciples, personal need is what drives us to come asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. As long as we can think we can cope with life in our own strength, we won't really pray. Now, our Lord's answer to the request, Lord, teach us to pray, reveals an absolutely wonderful thing about God that I love to tell you every week. Namely, that God is not a callous, indifferent dictator. He's a father who loves you unconditionally. And Jesus says he's more anxious to meet your needs when you cry out to him than we are even to ask. Now, because that's true, let's look at our text. First, most of us, like the early disciples, do not pray until circumstances force the issue. And that's a very sad fact. The disciples, as we said, struggled for three years to measure up to these demands Jesus laid down for being his follower. And obviously, they were then, they are now. They're impossible in our own strength. So failing miserably to measure up in desperation, they came asking him to teach them to pray. Only at the point of need did they discover the supernatural power that is available through prayer. And it was the power that enabled them to build the New Testament church. You know what I'm asking for, for us, for me? I want a sense of desperation to fill us. We're so desirous to be God's men and women in these times, being able to grab the opportunities for kingdom work that are there. And we just can't do it in our own strength. And I would love a sense of desperation, passion to fill us. And we'd come to Jesus asking, Lord, teach us to pray. I have a friend who became gravely ill. And when we met uh, to uh, discuss his future prognosis, <clears throat> he said something very common among us as Menlo Park Presbyterians. Walt, I never thought much about prayer except occasionally at church. But now I need help bigger than I am, and I don't know how to converse with God. Help me. There's something tragic about that about anyone who takes the name Christian, claims to follow Jesus, and doesn't know how to talk to him. Why do we as believers neglect prayer until we're in situations where we have nowhere else to go? And more logically, if prayer works, if it's a source of divine, supernatural power to help us cope with life, why do so few of us pray with any real expectancy that God will intervene with a miracle? I have some answers as I've conversed with you. Some of us prayed in the past. And God's answers didn't meet our expectations and our knee-jerk reaction was to lash out saying, I knew prayer's a farce. No one's listening. That's particularly true for some of you who've, who've lost loved ones. You asked them to live and they died. Or you were facing a divorce and you asked God to save the marriage and it didn't happen. And you know, those kind of deep, horrible heartbreaks. And then some of us don't pray because we believe God refuses to answer our prayers as punishment for our sins in the past. So we don't deserve answers. So we don't pray. And some of us just don't feel worthy to pray. We've gotten some myth about God that he's so high and holy, we can't really talk intimately with him and share our personal needs. And then some don't pray just because we don't know how to do it. And we don't come to prayer meetings because we'll, we'll think we'll look foolish. And then I think a common one here in Silicon Valley is that pride so fills the hearts of many of us 
that we don't like to confess a need for any resources beyond our own. We can do it. We've got the money. We've got the talent. We can handle it. Well, Jesus taught us an amazing truth. Prayer is the vehicle through which we tap into divine supernatural resources that enables the Christian to live at a totally different level than any other human beings on earth. So that when we're in over our heads, and we are most of us, even if we don't know it, that we find the power to cope, to have victory, to go and be of use to God's kingdom, even though we're up against forces far bigger than we are. I confess as your pastor, one of the wonderful results of having lived with challenges that are always too big for me, too much for my own strength, is that I can give from the depths of my heart this bold conviction, prayer works. I no longer have any doubt about it. It's the most incredible, wonderful gift Jesus gives us. He was absolutely right in the promises he makes about it. I have lots of proof in my life that it's true. You know, I have um, kept a journal for years and it's a prayer journal and I've told you about it. I guess it's about 10 years worth now, a little thick thing. And on my dark days, I read it and I go back over all the old requests I made to God and I thought they were impossible. And then to date when he responded and to look at those supernatural inbreaks and interventions in my life, always pull me out of a pit or a slump when I'm wondering if God's listening. Unashamedly, I confess to you, I need prayer to survive because my own strength and competence are so totally inadequate, but it's so coupled with the total adequacy of God, that doesn't bother me anymore. It's a wonderful way to live. I need to pray like I need to breathe. But you know, that isn't just me. That's a discovery. If you haven't made it, you need to know. You can live at a different level if you discover that kind of intimacy and constant transfer of power from Jesus to you that comes to us through prayer. You know, I think one of the agonies in eternity will be the remorse articulated in that classic hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. That is so profoundly true. Secondly, let me remind us of our Lord's promises about prayer. God doesn't answer prayer some of the time, but all of the time. And that's a wonderful truth. Listen to Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. That's pretty clear. And then he adds this from a father's heart. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Up front, Jesus warned us that God's answers to our prayers at times will feel like stones or snakes. And that really is hard to take. Sometimes we don't understand God's answers and his timing and it's agonizing. And we cry out to him as an unkind father. I want to remind us God loves us unconditionally. His love never varies and we can stake our lives on the truth that God's answers to our prayers are always wrapped in his love in the form of protection, provision, and guidance. And maybe we won't understand that until later in life. Much like if you have a two-year-old and you have to deny them things that would hurt them desperately and they flail and they kick and they think you're the most awful parent in the world and what you're really doing is protecting them. And someday they will understand 
And we're in that same posture with our God in often the answers he gives to our prayers. I wonder if we realize today that prayer is the divine cure for worry, for bitterness, for the fatigue of trying to carry life's burdens all alone when God never intended us to carry them alone. I know it's, it's not politically correct probably to say this, but we were made to live with a crutch. We were designed to lean on Jesus Christ, and that's okay, because any other posture of living is really a myth. We can't make it fully without him. A friend told me of his experience of receiving an answer to prayer he thought was a stone. He was driving to an important interview for a job. Traffic along 101 was absolutely congested. He arrived late for his appointment. Struggling with God about this in prayer as he was passing the airport, he said, God, if you want me to get this job, why did you allow this delay to happen? Well, it turned out that because he was the last applicant to be interviewed that day, he was able to spend the most time with the person making the decision about who would be hired. And happily, he received the job, which has proven to be the best financial decision and career decision of his life. Kind of an interesting happening to what he thought was a stone. I wonder how many of us strike out at God when life becomes congested with delays and disappointments, even though we've prayed for something else. But here's something for a deeper thought. How many of us really view prayer, prayer as a way to dictate to God, sort of like a vending machine, saying, God, this is what I want, and, and this is the color and the shape and the timing, and we sort of lay out our game plan of what we want for God. We're dictating to him as if he exists to meet all of our petty needs. In fact, let's think deeper. How many of us really pray that God's will will be done when we pray, and then we trust that his answers are always best? You see, when we always when we close our prayers in the name of Jesus, what we're really saying is a, a profound truth. Uh, Lord, I know you're my father and this is what I want and I know you understand that. But I also know you're a God who knows a lot more than me. You love me infinitely. So I, after I've expressed what I want, I'm gonna trust you to give me what I need. And that's why you always put a PS on prayers. By the way, in the name of Jesus, don't give me what I want. If it's wrong, it may be bad for me. That's tough to do. But that's really how we pray. And that's the difference between praying and dictating. Trusting that God's love is present in every one of his answers enable us to believe that every event in our life, every answer to our prayers, they're somehow connected. They're part of a plan that started the day we were born. He has a plan for good and not for evil to give us as Christians a future and a hope. And that's a truth that never varies. But suppose my friend, because he was late, didn't get the job. What if his financial fortunes had been different? We don't always get what we pray for. It doesn't always turn out good. But you see, trust in God's unconditional love enables us to know that whatever he allows is best for us if measured in the eternal perspective of time. You either agree with that and accept it and it'll give you peace, or you reject it and you'll be filled with bitterness and frustration. Sometimes people get it. And there's a, I, I, re I receive lots of letters, and every once in a while I want to share one with you because it's a masterpiece of someone who gets what our Lord is talking about in this text. I, I have I, I've received her permission to share this with you about how God's answers to our prayers are bread and fish, not stones and serpents. During the past 10 years, I've experienced my portion of heartache, grief, frustration, disappointment, injustice, despair, and loneliness. 
And yet I now realize that fruit is cultivated best in the fertile soils of valleys, not in the thin air of altitudes. All these events have contributed to developing the most difficult facet of my spiritual walk, that is, simply encouraging steadfast faith, believing when I have no reason to believe. Truly, turbulence divinely ordained can move our hearts toward closer union with God's heart. But we must be willing to submit to His transforming power. Otherwise, during those roaring tempests of life, we surely will be swept downstream and left spiritually drowning in the ocean of our own doubt. Admittedly, faith is hard. Faith can become a desperate dive out of the sinking boat of human effort. I love that metaphor. But as a recovered doubter, I can rest comfortably on the padded pew of blind belief. Wish I could write like that. God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. How might I describe the relationship I have with Jesus? My serenity is predicated on an implicit, unshakable reliance on his ability to do the right thing in any given situation. It is Christ's love that watches over me, protects me, plans my future, encourages me not to give up in time of sorrow and discouragement. Redeemer, paraclete, intercessor, provider, protector, husband, father, brother, friend, and Lord over an artist of my soul. All paint the portrait of the Christ Jesus that I've come to know and to love. And there seems to be no better way for us to express love to God than by exercising fidelity to him, especially in those darkest hours of prayer. There's a lady who gets it. God answers prayer, not some of the time, but all of the time. And based upon the promises of Jesus, I invite all of us who are struggling to become what Jesus calls us to be. And we're, we're, we're miserable and, and frustrated because we're not making it. And I challenge all of us who are afflicted with chronic worrying, carrying burdens that are crushing us, fighting demons of fear, to start praying and start trusting that whatever God's answers may be, they are bread and not stones, fish and not serpents. During the next year, we've said it often, I believe it, we have an opportunity to impact the community and the world as well as to have your whole life changed as a disciple. But it's going to depend upon one thing, our learning how to pray. It will not happen without prayer. So here are some challenges to take home with you. Whatever else you do this year, begin a habit of daily prayer. Pray about everything, worry about nothing, and give, ask God to give you the grace to start that discipline because it is a discipline. Prayer is something you learn how to do. Pray with expectation. And trust that God's responses, whatever they may be, are evidence of his love. Pray with a friend. Pray with a small group. That's why we emphasize them in this church. Or you're with your family or at the office. You can visit one of our many prayer meetings. I've told you many times, I, my favorite hour of the week is 6.30 in the morning, Thursday morning, in the library where I meet with people and pray. I, I love it. Or I meet with people in my office half hour before every worship service. I wish you'd come and pray for this group. One reason you're fed today is because people have been praying for you. And if you haven't read it, read Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's the best book on prayer I believe ever written. It will transform your attitude to prayer. 
Remember, God doesn't answer prayer some of the time, but all the time. Imagine if we begin to pray this week on the firm conviction prayer works. It would change your life and it'll change the power of our church's ministry to go beyond our wildest expectations. And if you think about it, if you've been hanging around here for a while, I believe this last year particularly, we're starting to see some of the gargantuan things God can do in response to the, uh, the faithful prayers of people who dared to ask and dared to believe. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, it's been said that more things are wrought in this world and wrought uh, through prayer than this world dreams about. I believe it. Help us to believe it. Help us to practice it. Make us a praying church. Help us to understand it's the engine that drives your work in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.